Hello, my name is Akeem Brown, and this is Akeem's Dream Show. You may be wondering what the hell this podcast is about, I'm still trying to figure it out. Well, all I know is when I got a lot of ideas in my 20s, I wrote them down. And in every episode, I'm going to try to unpack one of these ideas and theories, as well as interview people I find really fascinating. Ideas about the end of sobriety, suborbital travel, NFTs, salt and pepper, and really anything else that I find that tickles my fancy. So strap in for a fun ride, and I hope you learn something new. Let's take it up a notch. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Akeem's Dream Show, and Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. You know, when I first saw your Instagram page and all the positivity you're putting onto the world, I'm like, these are the kind of people we need more of. And I thought I had to reach out and just uh, show you some love and then give you a chance to maybe tell your story because I think more people need to hear from people like you who are really intentional about the way they live their lives and and on purpose about a lot of things. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm pretty excited. Okay, awesome. (laughs) Well, the first thing I wanted to kind of run run by you was this fascination you have with Lord of the Rings because (laughs) one of the, you went to Waterton with a few friends, mutual friends of ours, and you were on this hike and I think you called it Lord of the Rings hike or something like that. I called it Lord of the Walk. Lord of the Walk. Okay. So why don't you tell us about what that's all about? Because I'm a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings franchise. Okay. Well, um, I really love Lord of the Rings. I'm kind of a huge nerd for it. It's something like the first movie when it came out, I was in junior high and I'm pretty sure I watched it like 50 times. Like I could probably recite the entire, um, like the entire dialogue from that movie if I really tried. But, uh, anyway, it started out because I like, it was in the middle of the pandemic and things were shitty. There wasn't a lot to do. And I was going through some stuff of my own and a friend of mine who I actually used to live with my friend and her mom when I was like, 19 years old and her mom had posted on Facebook. She's like, I've been doing a lot of walking and I want to try and walk the distance covered by three characters from Lord of the Rings, uh, Gimli, Aragorn and Legolas in their search to rescue the hobbits when they get captured. So when like, if you watch Lord of the Rings, like when Mary and Pippin get captured by the orcs, they want to try and rescue them. So she found out that the distance that they covered in that part of the quest was 250 kilometers. And she's like, that's my goal. I want to walk that. Does anyone want to join me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I want to do that. Like I need something to do. (laughs) I was bored and I needed like just a way to get out of the house and like do something. And so I was like, yeah, I want to get in on this. And so I, uh, I joined her and she had got like 30 some people together, um, initially. And they all, we, she made a Facebook group, and she made a spreadsheet with everybody's name in it. And you just went in and you logged your kilometers each day. Oh, cool. And then at the end, like it, it would automatically tally up your kilometers. And <clears throat> I was going through this like 250 kilometers initially. And I started January 1st. And I burned through like that first 250 kilometers in like a month and a half. Wow. By like mid-February, I was like, okay, well, I'm, I've done this part of the challenge. And I started having such a really great time walking. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was really good for my like mental health at the time too, just like walking and getting out of the house. And it gave me this like opportunity where there's nothing else that I had to do at that time except walk. And so I could just kind of like walk and think and like really just chill out and have a really nice, like just personal time for myself. And I was like, I don't want to stop. 
So I decided that I wanted to find the distance that was covered by Sam and Frodo from the Shire to Mordor. Holy smokes. And walk that. And so first I just Googled it and I was like, okay, how far from the Shire to Mordor? And the, my Google search was like, it's 2,800 and something kilometers. And so I was like, okay, sweet. You know what? Like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to walk this far. And so I kind of put it out into the world and started telling people that that's what I wanted to do. And then I found an app that actually specifically tracks that because I was also, I started doing this walk and I started keeping track of it for myself again from that point. So I had my like initial 250 kilometers under my belt and I just kept adding up from there. And I wanted to know how long it would take me. I had estimated it would take me about two years if I did an average of 5K five times a week. So like a 25 kilometers a week was my goal. Okay. I thought it was pretty realistic. Yeah. And then, and then I found this app called Walk to Mordor that actually like... <laughs> no it's, way. I, I don't know who made this app. It's not necessarily like the fanciest app out there, but it lets you log your like walking distance and then it'll show you along the way like what landmarks or like what um, points in the journey you've passed according to like the journey in the book. So it has some of the stuff that you don't see in the movies. Cool. So I was just like, I want to know, you know, just because I've walked, you know, 300 kilometers, I want to know where I am on the actual trip to Mordor. So it ends up being like with this app, it's probably over 3000 kilometers that I'm walking. Oh, wow. So I started January 1st and on average, I've mostly been beating my goal like my goal was 25 kilometers a week and but more often than not it's more like 30 to 40 that i'm doing and uh yeah i'm Good like i'm already um like over 1100 kilometers in now Holy so smokes. but you get a little ping when you get to like rohan or when you get to elvendor is it elvendor uh Riv- rivendell rivendell yeah. yeah that's sweet yeah yeah so i'm past rivendell and i'm somewhere kind of between there and um Moria, which are like the two big points that you see in the movie, but there's right. a lot of distance that's covered in the books that you don't see in the movie, and that's kind of in the middle of the journey where I'm at now. Oh, that's amazing. I love how you just decide. Listen, if I was in the heat of the moment and someone asked me to do that, because I love the Lord of the Rings so much, I probably would say the same thing. But I feel like you are the kind of person that just says yes to crazy stuff if it's like, if it give, if your mindset is right for it. Yeah, like. Not, not that that's crazy. I just think it's like... Uh, it's, it's a pretty big it's undertaking. A, that's like from here to Ottawa. You know, yeah. we're in Edmonton. So. Yeah, it's a long walk. I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm the kind of person who just like says yes to anything, but it's definitely like if, it's, if it makes sense to me and I'm like excited about it, I will do it. And actually part of the reason why I ended up putting it out into like social media and seeing if anybody else wanted to join and like getting people to follow along. And like, I made my own hashtag for it, which is Lord of the walk. That's awesome. Um, and when I started like sharing it more openly, I'm like, this is also kind of keeping me accountable to keep doing it. And like, it's surprising how many people have like seen something and be like, this is so awesome. How do I do it too? <laughs> and so that's pretty cool. No, that's awesome. I mean, you're, you're finding a fun way with pop culture to get people active and get people involved. And, uh, I saw that and I admitted, cause you, I saw your post or your story on Instagram and you guys were in Waterton and you guys started walking on this hill and the Lord of the Rings music started playing. And I just got so inspired. I was like, Oh my God, I was nerding out hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, that like that particular hike is really um where that video was taken like um our friend my friend Kyle was walking behind uh myself and his girlfriend Kendra and we're walking and he was like okay wait stop like because they were basically at the peak of the hike yeah because it it starts on one side of the mountain and you basically hike up and then you hike down the other side so we were at like the summit 
so he got us like filming right like as we walked right along the ridge of this uh summit of the mountain and it was like yeah this is perfect scenery for like the lord of the rings track to go with it so those three, the first three movies that came out, Fellowship, Two Towers, and then The King, Return of the King, mm-hmm. which one, which, what are you leaning towards or how would you rank them? Um, it's hard to say. Like, so I, I love The Fellowship because like it came out when I was young and it was something that I watched a lot and so I was oh, really yeah. into it. And I find it's like probably the lightest of the three movies in mm-hmm. terms of like there's a little bit more humor and that sort of thing. So like, I mean, I love that one for that reason. I think uh, in terms of like, film quality though like i think two towers is probably one of the most interesting like it's just cool it has some really epic battle scenes and stuff like that so i think they all have their qualities but i probably like i probably enjoyed them as i watched them like one two and three in that order Mm. but i don't like i'm by no means like a film critic so i wouldn't use my uh, my opinions as a way to judge it oh fair enough there was a good battle scene uh, helms deep (laughs) in in the second one that was pretty good and uh, like when they fight those wolf slash dog the things. wargs the wargs yeah. holy shit those things are hard as hard as hell and i remember there's a scene legless like wraps around a horse when they're like pursuing them and i know every girl when i was growing up just loved legless so much because they thought he was like the sexiest like hottest like elf or whatever nah aragorn was where it was at man. oh really oh aragorn. yeah i like i joke with one of my girlfriends who's like also a pretty big lord of the rings nerd and she's joined me on this walk as well and uh, Ar- Aragorn is like the weird sexual awakening for like 13-year-old girls <laughs> in my age gap. We're like, oh, interesting. We like him. So it wasn't Harry Potter? <laughs> no. Or Weasley, whatever his name was? Actually, you know what? I had a huge crush on Rupert Grint who played Ron Weasley when oh, I really? was a teenager. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. He's like such a goofy looking dude, but he's like, he was so cute when I was also 12. Oh, fair <laughs> yeah. enough. Yeah, he was gangly and awkward, and mm-hmm. but you know whatever. he stayed that way though. But you know what? I still kind of had a crush on him when I was about twenty. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I mean, him as an adult, not him when he was playing Ron Weasley, though. Right, right, right. That's the interesting thing, right? We get to see people grow, um, beautiful, remain the same, or just kind of you know go the other direction. But uh, what's his face? Uh, there was one of those characters in Neville Harry Potter. Longbottom. Yeah, yeah, he was like the he, awkward, goofy kid, and then. He got hot when he got older. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. I mean, yeah, he definitely went through a transformation. Good for him. So maybe he started getting some other offers and roles in Hollywood. And, you know, Daniel Radcliffe. Actually, I saw this uh, clip. You know you know the series Punked? Mm-hmm. When they uh, Ash and Kutcher were going there? They had this uh, thing with uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who played Harry Potter, um, who was working behind the desk at, like, some tanning salon, just okay. casually. And people were like, wait a second. Because Harry Potter. <laughs> Wait, yeah, and they're like, and he was just acting like it was just like a normal job, mm-hmm. and there's cameras, and it was all set up, and we were like, girls were like, doing a double take, and even the dudes who like grew up watching that show, and it just made me wonder like, what your life would be like if everywhere you went you were recognizable. I can't imagine, like, yeah, it would be so weird. I think too, like with him, he, I'm pretty sure he's like kind of avoided Hollywood yeah. stuff a lot, but his like, he does a lot of indie movies now and they're really good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, father, dear father or something like that, where he like, anyways, yeah. A lot of indie movies, kind of like borderline horror mm-hmm. thrillers. Mm-hmm. He's really good in them. Yeah. And he just has to pretend like Voldemort's trying to catch him. <laughs> and then he's, there and then he's go. good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Daniel, just pretend that Voldemort's right there. And yeah. He's like, okay. He's like, okay, I got this. Wingavia and Leviosa. <laughs> I will cast my spell on you. I, I remember that spell. I remember, man, people are going to think I'm a giant nerd, but 
It's okay. I am. Uh, when Gavi and Leviosa, um, uh, what's it called? Expelliarmus. Expelliarmus, yes. Yeah. And then whatever uh, Emma Watson's character would say all the time, but she had all the spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had the spells, Harry had the confidence, and Ronald had the luck. Yep, that sounds about right. I think those are the three things you need in life. You need spells, confidence, and luck. Mm. What do you think? I'm still working on the spells, but... (laughs) Actually, let's be honest. I'm still working on the confidence, but I think I have a fair amount of luck so far. That's fair. Sometimes. Hey, I've seen some of your IG posts where you have that black lipstick on. I... (laughs) It's, in the moment you put a spell on me, I was like, holy smokes, <laughs> what's this going on here? It's like it kind of grabs that's you. That's my witchy look, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> it worked. You don't see that every day, right? It's a very confident move. Well, oh. There's a confidence. Yeah, that's true. It, com- it comes out. It's there. It's just like sometimes it's there more than other times. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Which days of the week is it more there? Mm, it depends on the week, I would say. Oh, it yeah. depends on the yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Some weeks, I would say it doesn't vary as much throughout the week as it does week to week. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. I would say my confidence days are Tuesday, Wednesday, because mm-hmm. that's when I kind of just peaking in the week and I can see the end. I like to get 12 hours of sleep on Wednesdays too, just to kind of balance everything out. It's really weird. Um, I don't know. Can you, do you think there's such a thing as too much sleep? Um, maybe. So my question would be like, if you get 12 hours of sleep on Wednesdays, how many hours of sleep do you get the other days? Oh, not good. Six hours, maybe six, seven. Oh, that's not bad. That's like... Seven hours is pretty normal. Like, okay. What if what 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 is like uh what is the low end of that? Would it be four or five? I think four or five is pretty low. I think like I kind of believe that sleep time is really something that varies from person to person too. Like in terms of what's best, some people do well off like six seven hours of sleep. Some people are like eight or nine hours. I think the spectrum of like good amount of sleep is anywhere from like six to nine, but I, I think it probably depends. Yeah, hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, I think the gene- the consensus out there is that you need sleep to do anything. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. If you don't sleep, you're, you're pretty much going to run out of energy at some point. Run out of energy, run out of sanity. Yeah. I, I, I saw the record for the most amount of days, um, back to back without any sleep was like 25. It was just by this 13 year old by from Netherlands or something like that. Why though? Why did this child do this to himself? Have you ever have a Guinness record with your name behind it? Uh, no, I guess not. I can see that being a motivating factor, but I don't think I could stay awake for something like that. Yeah. He, uh, he just watched a lot of really crazy movies and probably slasher films and Stayed up. Gave him nightmares so he couldn't sleep anyway. Exactly, yeah. Probably stayed in the most haunted. That's how you do it. You'd have to watch slasher films. And sleep in a hot room. In a hot room in a haunted house. Oh, in a haunted house. Yeah, that would keep you awake. I mean, like, I've been rewatching Breaking Bad, um, and I had never seen the end of the series until now. And last night, my apartment was really, really hot, and then I binge-watched a bunch of episodes of Breaking Bad, and it was, like, right near the end, and things were getting intense and like I had a terrible sleep last night. I couldn't sleep at all in my, in my dreams. I was trying to protect my drug empire. So <laughs> like I can see how like watching something really stimulating and sleeping in a hot, uncomfortable place would keep you awake. Absolutely. Whatever it takes protecting your drug empire. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would start a drug empire, but of coffee, I mm. think that'd be my, I think empire. that would probably be very profitable, but only if coffee was like a black market thing, if you can't get it in the regular, or if you had like some type of really special coffee mm. that you couldn't find anywhere else, that would be the only way that you would be able to build like a huge empire the same way that like there's a drug empire, I think. <laughs> 
It's pretty, it's pretty readily available otherwise. Come check out Akeem's Dream Show where I talk to Andrea about how to dr- build a drug empire based on coffee. and uh, Illicit we take, coffee we'll, empire. <laughs> illicit coffee empire. Yeah. If, uh, if coffee beans could grow in Alberta, we would do it for sure. But uh, they do not last up here. So. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, uh, when it comes to like the whole walk, boom, but all the way back, all the way back to Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. we're talking about the, the walk and just your mentality, get up and do it. Where did that mentality come from? Like that, that ability to just say, listen, I know I love Lord of the Rings, but even if it was whatever, I would just, if it made sense and it was aligned with my values, which I, I, I'm imagining one of them is fitness and health and well, yeah. well being. like, where does that come from? Just like, I'll just do it. From, from this walk specifically? Or like, or yeah, like, maybe generally, I think that you have that kind of spirit that just says, I'm just going to tackle things head on. Um, I mean, I don't know that I always have that kind of spirit. I think it depends on the thing, but, um, like with this, with this specifically, like I was, I was having a really difficult time, um, with the pandemic. There was a lot that was going on in my life personally, in terms of like, not just not being able to work and all that stuff, but like I had some, uh, some loss in my family and mm. stuff like that. That was, uh, I, I needed something to occupy me and you know, what I would normally have used wasn't available. Like I, I like going to the gym and I like going doing martial arts and stuff mm. like that. And those things weren't, weren't available. And so the, the Lord of the Rings spin on the walking was, was just like the extra push because I love that. And I'm like kind of a huge nerd for stuff like that. So like, if I can kind of attach that to it, it's even more motivating, but it was really just being like, this is something that I can do that is positive. Like in terms of, you know, I like to move my body and exercise and stuff and, Mm -hmm. But I'm not about to go for a run like I hate running. So walking is really great in that way. But it just, yeah, it was, it was something that I could do to take good care of myself, but also, um, it kind of became like a bit of a meditative practice for me where Mm. it was like, I would go for my walks and, um, I would just like, while I'm out there, I don't have anything else that's pressing. And so it would just be like this time that I could be with myself and I found that to be really motivating and really valuable. And actually it's something that I've kind of come back to anytime that I'm feeling like lately, if I feel like I'm not like on the same kind of path that I want to be on, or I'm not feeling as motivated or I'm not feeling like I'm getting things done. I kind of look and I'm like, Oh, you know what? I haven't been going for my walks the same way. And it's not that I'm not walking. Like I walk to and from places all the time, but that. And, I, and I, I count those steps with my mortar walk because of I'm walking course. and I got really far to go. So I got every step counts. But at the same time, I'm like, if it's not like a dedicated time spent with the walking where I'm like able to just sort of disconnect from other things if I choose to, and I'll like put on some headphones and listen to music or I'll listen to an audiobook or whatever, like that time is like, it's like my personal time. And it gives me this opportunity to like decompress and like think things through and go through all kinds of stuff. And I've noticed that like, if I'm not doing that now, mm-hmm. I'm like, a few things feel off and I'm like, Oh, I better like get back and I go for some like dedicated walks. And when I do that, it's like, everything starts to kind of click into place. And it's, it's actually become like, I don't know what I'm going to, I've got a long way to go still, but I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to mortar. Cause I'm like, I'm going to need to keep doing this now. <laughs> some, the day you finish, somebody's going to launch another challenge and mm-hmm. you'll be like, I'm ready. It's going to be how to train your dragon <laughs> fly or no, you can't fly, but uh, no, not last time I checked. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. Uh, or maybe it's the, I'm trying to think of movies that are like road trips. Um, mm. You could walk like the Dumb and Dumber from Cincinnati <laughs> to Aspen or something. Yeah, I'm sure I could find something. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be another thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. And I mean, uh, maybe we can kind of get into the nature of what you do. Cause I, part of the reason I found you was through, uh, like you're mentioning, uh, Kendra and Kyle, like they're extremely positive people and they help a lot of people and they really help people get through things and, uh, take challenges on head first. And, uh, you know, I'm not using that just as a way to describe it. It really does start with your head and your mindset and your mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your, like, how do you, how do you start with somebody when, um, in your, in, in what you do, maybe you can kind of walk us through, first of all, like kind of how you got into what you do and, 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 you know, how you help people with that mentality. But yeah, w- w- why don't you start with like how you got into that? Okay. So it's been, it's been like a, quite a bit of a process, but it started out with personal training. So Kyle, um, was my personal trainer and I, I hired him kind of out of the blue when I was like, I wanted to join a gym, but I knew very well that I had never been to one before. Mm-hmm. It was pretty nerve wracking. And I also knew that like, I, I used to consider myself what I would call like a, I used to consider myself kind of a quitter, I guess. Like I would pick, like not in a, not to like talk down to myself sort of way, but like I would, especially when it came to physical activity, like I wasn't very athletic in school. I didn't like, I even didn't take gym class after grade 10. Um, Like after it stopped being mandatory, I was like, nope, screw that. I don't want to take gym anymore. Um, But I, I would pick up a thing for a little while and then I would eventually peter off and I would stop doing it. And that would happen periodically. Like it'd be like yoga and it would do this like workout thing or whatever. And so when I first joined the gym and I met Kyle, I was like, I want something to stick to. And I just want to feel like I'm like going to keep going, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And uh, so I ended up hiring Kyle and he trained me for a year. And then I was like, okay, you know what? I've been doing this for a year. That's awesome. Like now I want to, I wanted to feel like I had something to show for it. Mm -hmm. So I decided I had seen on, you know, Facebook and stuff that, I knew a few people that were doing like bodybuilding bikini competitions and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. That's the thing that I can have to show for all this hard work that I've put in. And so I did that and I hired a like nutrition coach and stuff and that was great um, in that I learned a lot and it was a cool experience and, and I was very fortunate in that my coach and the people that I worked with were really supportive and like focus on my health first and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I had a fairly positive experience in that and then like did the competition and through training for that sort of thing, I was like, okay, I was working as a bartender and server for most of my life. Um, and at that point I was like, I need to switch what I do because I, I wanted to, I, those two things were really contradictory, like going, working at the bar and serving like nachos and shots late into the night and then trying to like not consume any of those things which like now retrospectively I would have different opinions on but at the time I was like I I want to have a job or like a career that supports this like lifestyle that I'm trying to do so I and like so I started looking into personal training and then it also came down to like I changed a lot about how I felt about myself I was a lot more confident I was a lot more comfortable in myself and and, and I actually tried to take care of myself, which working in the bar for however many years, I, I didn't really try to take right. care of myself. I would basically be up all hours of the night. I would drink a lot. I would eat one meal a day and it would be the pub food at the place that I worked at. And like, it was just not, it wasn't a very like conducive lifestyle. So 
I just like, I wanted to get into something where not only I was supporting the lifestyle that I wanted to, but like, if I could make these changes and feel really good about myself, then like, if I can help other people to do that, that would be amazing. And that was kind of what got me going back to school. And I went in for personal training and then I wanted to study nutrition as well. And I found a program to study holistic nutrition. So I took a, a diploma in holistic nutrition after I finished personal training uh, through Nate and started working training clients and stuff like that. And it's really great. Like I, I love personal training. I love working with clients, but I kind of through that process of like working with clients and then also just through some of the other parts of my own personal journey, like realizing what was really important to me and watching, watching where my clients struggled and watching where I struggled and kind of seeing those things mirrored. I was like, I started to realize that I felt kind of like personal training and like nutrition are awesome, but they're kind of, they're just like tools. They're not the whole picture. They're not the full puzzle that you need to put together. And so I started looking a lot at, I started looking a lot at how people relate to food and how people relate to exercise. And I started to get really fed up with the like whole culture of dieting and how exercise is like often seen as like a punishment for the things that you eat or as like a means to an end versus like something that you do because it feels good and because it's good for you. And same with food, like, you know, having people focus on what they, what they eat as like a, a thing that's either good or bad. And so I started kind of watching how I'm like working with clients and they're either, you know, they're just continually seeing me and never really acting on things in their own Um, or just like watching people kind of start a journey and then peter off Mm. and then feel bad about themselves and then start again and go back and forth. And, and all of this and started making me feel like the limiting factor isn't knowing how to exercise and knowing how to eat the limiting factor. What I think stops people from like achieving what they want to achieve is how they feel about themselves, whether it's if they think that they're capable of achieving what they want or whether it's they think that they deserve to achieve what they want or if they even are even aware of that but if they're like self-sabotaging themselves or if they're not they're not actually putting themselves first when it comes to like taking actions it's like they're trying to compare to other people or they're trying to take care of other people so now what I really want to focus on is like working with people on their relationship to exercise and their relationship to food and their relationship to their body. Because I feel like the tools, the tools and the information when it comes to like how to eat well Mm. and how to exercise, they're out there like, and it's not hard to find, but the tools to actually like build the self worth and the good relationships with those things. I feel like that's what's a lot more difficult for people and that tends to like limit them no matter how many tools that they have. So that's really like where things have gone over the last couple of years. Agreed. Uh, yeah, that was so, uh, that's wonderful. I mean, the way you said, um, you started treating people and you found that the real problem was like you said, well, not the eating or the working out, but the actual root of how they felt about themselves and you're treating the root, you're treating the, uh, the cause and not the symptom. And, uh, like you're right. I mean, if, the personal training and the, and the, and the dietitians and the nutritionists, they're all there as kind of guides because all the information is online. I mean, mm-hmm. if you go online, if everyone went online and just followed what followed something, 
everyone would be billionaires with six packs. And I think that we have a hard time following rules. We have a, um, we have an even harder time trusting ourselves. So I like that you get to the root of things. Mm -hmm. Um, when you get to the root of things with people, like, is there, um, when you find what that limiting belief is, then like, how do you kind of unearth that? Like, is that like, is, is, it's probably not a clear cut path every time, eh? Um, it's not always, but I've actually recently started kind of working on, um, the biggest thing that I think really ends being, ends up being the limiting belief or ends up affecting the limiting belief is how people talk to themselves. Mm. And one of the things that I really focus on with, uh, clients and with like what I think is really valuable is that like self-talk piece. And so I actually usually will get people to work through that before they work through anything else. And so they like, I get them to. First of all, just like notice the way they're talking to themselves. Um, and it's like you kind of, well, in, in a lot of the circles that I run in and the people that I follow, the thing that you bring up is, you know, the way you're talking to yourself. Would you talk to your best friend? Would you talk to somebody that you love, that you really respect the way that you're talking to yourself? Probably not. No. And so if you wouldn't talk to somebody else that you talk like that you respect and love this way, why would you want to talk to yourself? Because we like that. So I will usually get people to first like focus in on paying attention to how they talk to themselves. But then I also have sort of a, a process for like how to change that. So, you know, first you, it's the first thing is always noticing it. And then it's then taking the time to look for evidence of the contrary. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot about like you, you say this one thing to yourself and maybe it's true or, or sorry, maybe you feel like it's true in the moment, but then if you pull back and you analyze it and you're like, okay, is this really true? And then you take a look at the rest of your life and you're like, here are plenty of examples of times when this hasn't been true. And like more often than not, the evidence is there. Like, yeah. like I all use myself for an example is like some of the like bad self-talk that I've given for myself is like, Oh, when I've struggled to grow my business or I feel like I'm struggling to um, move forward in the things that are important to me, the like self-talk would be like, oh, well, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not really a hard enough worker or maybe I'm not really smart enough or maybe I'm not educated enough or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'll say these like things to myself. But then if I like remove myself for a moment, then I look for the evidence. And I think the evidence is really the key thing. And it's like, okay, no, I'm clearly a hard worker because like I got honors in both the diplomas I achieved and like I'm clearly good at this because I'm clearly good at like handling difficult circumstances because like look at all these things in my life that were challenging and now here I am still standing and so like I go back and I get people to like focus in on the evidence of the positives and evidence of all the times that this negative thing that they said about themselves isn't true and then repeat that and reframe what they're saying to themselves. So like, no, and take that original negative self-talk and then flip it on its head and, and say the opposite and say the positive and then affirm these things. And like that, I think is really the, the biggest like first step in making any of the rest of it happen. I love that. I mean, I wouldn't even know, I wouldn't have known how I would have answered that own question, my own question, because, uh, you could have went anywhere with that, but that's, uh, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, the power of the spoken word, you're hung by the tongue, confess it and you will possess it. I think a lot of people don't really understand the power of the spoken word. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Two days ago, I was coming back from a hike and we were in the, we were just leaving the hike, getting to my car. And I said, listen, when you need to go get home, he's like, I need to be home by midnight. I said, I'll get you home, but I get you home by 1145. It was it's in on Google. It said two hours and 25 minutes, but we were two hours away. 
yeah, two, it was two hours before I said that date. I said it once. And then we get in the car, we're going, I wasn't speeding, I wasn't really going fast. And then literally like a minute, like as we're, as he's leaving the car, I'm like, what time is it? I'm, he's like 11, oh, he's like, and he like caught himself. He's like, you're crazy, man. <laughs> and I said, that's what happens, man. I said it once and you kind of plant that seed into the universe and it's powerful. Like the ripple, the ripple effects or the butterfly effect or whatever you want to call it. But no, you're right. I mean, some of the things I like to catch for myself and this might be something that you probably help the people you work with is, uh, you know, when people say things like can't or if, or maybe, or someday, uh, those are things where I'm like, Ooh, mm -hmm. I don't know. You don't say that. Don't say if don't, don't say, uh, you know, it's not if it's when kind of thing, right? If I do this, no, it's when I do this. Yeah. You have to catch yourself. Yeah. One of the things that I like for myself have really tried to reframe is like, um, instead of saying like, I can't do this um, or like, like whatever I'm, I can't afford to do this right now or something like that is a big one that I used to have in my vocabulary a lot. And what I've changed instead of being like, I can't afford that is I am choosing not to prioritize that at this time. Right. And like turning it into from a can't into a choice, I think makes the big thing. And like turning it into like where you choose to prioritize things is, is huge. Oh, hundred um, percent. You just you got to be careful. Like I like you said, you you craft it in a way that makes sense, but you don't want to end. You don't want that because that that words turn into a mindset, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, like it's it's like the it's it's almost like it's polluting your mindset when you allow this um, the opposite of abundance, scarcity. Mm -hmm. It's like I can't means uh, my resources are scarce, and you're kind of like you're broadcasting that to the world saying um it's not that i can't it's that i won't and mm -hmm. i won't because i don't have and i mean you're you these these things go deeper than people realize and i think that when people kind of get a hold of that they can if if it really is something that is not possible at the moment then you just rephrase it uh, because the way you speak can become a habit and if you have the habit of if can't maybe someday uh I mean, the trickle down effect of that is just going to be uh, a place where you just don't feel the get up and go to do anything, right? Yeah, totally. It's like that the way you speak out loud to other people and the way you speak to yourself, it's like, especially if you find yourself repeating things, like repetition is where it all goes wrong. Like you can, yeah, sometimes you say something once offhandedly. Sometimes that's enough to like ingrain it in you. But like the more you say something, the more you believe it's true. So if you're like not, if you're talking to yourself negatively or you're like giving yourself those like limits, then you, mm. that's when it becomes a belief. And that's when it becomes like something that you like absorb into your core. Whereas if you switch it to like a choice or into like something positive and you repeat those things, like re again, repetition is, is where it changes. So you repeat the positives instead of the negatives, or you repeat a different way of framing it and that becomes true to you and then you're more likely to act in alignment with that because you believe it yeah and then that's how they become limiting beliefs mm -hmm. uh, and i love that's why i was drawn towards your page specifically because um, you understand this that yeah the human condition is to to fall prey to our emotions and our emotions kind of dictate how we feel and our feelings will um, maybe encourage us to think that way and, and to say those words but you're you're constantly blasting your the people who follow you with positivity and encouragement and reminders because these things are kind of like soap and water you need if you don't wash yourself every day you're going to lose friends right so 
this is like one of those things where you like you constantly berate everyone who follows you with like this message that you just gotta you know if this is the challenge this is how you deal with it and not how you deal a bit but like how to think through it because uh, you change people's thinking it's it's, it's it's akin to the teach a man to fish or teach a woman to fish uh you know they'll eat for a lifetime teach them give them a fish they'll uh they'll eat for the day and you're teaching people how to eat for a lifetime with a mentality and a word system that really is like helping them to get to a place where they can be coached or they can be receptive to the food or the drink or the or the workout regimen yeah yeah exactly it's like it's it's building the sort of foundation on like on which you can put those other habits. Like if you have, if you try and implement the habits, like sometimes that's enough. It depends where you're at, but sometimes you can try and implement the habits. But if that foundation of like believing that, that it's going to work for you or whatever, believing you deserve it or whatever it may be, isn't there first, then usually the habits don't stick. A hundred percent. Try that folks. If you're listening at home, uh, this might not be Andrew's coaching, but this is mine. Um, just catch yourself. Anytime you say C-A-N-T, try to revert uh, and, uh, you know, catch yourself because um, you have to self-police. We, uh, I, when, when I try to self-police myself, uh, that, that's a big thing for me. So, no, that's huge. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, diet culture? Um, because um, I noticed that one of your posts the other day was about uh, you had like a kind of I'm not sure what the emoji is, but it was like the the smile thing. Yeah, yeah, the, your face, the face. The face. I was just like, what is this? And then I read the caption. I was like, ah, okay, I get it. Because there's so much of that zigzagging and pivoting in our culture where I'm on keto and then I'm on this and I'm on that and I'm on that. Like, there's so many, so many changing. Uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you think? What, 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 what is your response when someone comes at you with, I changed my diet to X or diet period? Um, I have a lot of strong feelings about it. Uh, definitely. So like, I, I mean, coming from like a bodybuilding background is, is interesting. Like I, I did one and a half competitions. I did the one competition and I went to train for the second one. And then I ended up feeling miserable and realizing that it wasn't the right choice for me. But coming from that background of like learning to like count your calories and measure your food and all that sort of stuff. And then moving forward into life and being completely lost afterwards, after I stopped doing the competitions and being like, what the the hell do I do now? I just like, I've over the years from like starting in that experience and then watching other people work through, um, trying to reach fitness goals and things like that with my clients and talking to like mostly other women seeing how, dieting and diet culture has like affected so many people's self-esteem is really harmful and like I find I think the biggest problem with diet culture is that there's this like there's this idea in our society in our media in in the fitness industry it's super huge but in like you know pop culture in in all kinds of areas that like we should always be striving to be thinner or we should always be striving for like thinness or weight loss or whatever. And the idea of like assigning, um, value or like morality to Mm. foods, I think is really detrimental to people where it's like you, you go through the idea of like, Oh, I should always be thinner. I should, I should be trying to lose weight. And it, it, first of all, it disrupts the way that people feel about themselves because they're, they're taking this outside stimulus and automatically comparing themselves to it. And 
and truly like there's, there's no like one size fits all when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to exercise, when it comes to what a healthy body looks like, everybody is different and, and it, no, it don't matter what they do or, you know, whatever, like every, everybody has different needs. Everybody's got different abilities and there's no, there's no like blanket statement, like this is good and this is bad. And I think the problem with the culture around dieting is that it, it ascribes, uh, morality to being thin or to being like striving for weight loss. It, 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 it attaches morality to like foods being good and foods being bad and habits around foods being good and bad. And then people who are following along with that, then, you know, the moment they're not exactly what they think or they've been told is supposed to be good or bad, or they're the moment they're not what is supposed to be good. They automatically then feel bad about themselves. And Mm. they're like, now I'm bad and I'm worthless. And I'm, and, and it just like, it, it tears down the self-esteem that we're trying to build up literally by taking better care of ourselves. So it's, it's, it sets you up for failure almost no matter what. So I'm really, um, I'm really not, I'm not in support of choosing to diet. I'm in support of choosing to learn to pay attention to what your body is telling you because like mm. our, the, the human body is amazing. It is constantly working to protect you Agreed, yeah. and doing like positive things for you. And dieting is like this big way of telling your body that you don't care what it's telling you because it's wrong. And the information you found is right. Mm. And then you stop listening to those natural cues that your body would give you when you're hungry or when you, you know, food feels good or feels bad in your body. And so what I really want people to do is screw the diets and screw the diet culture and just like learn to respect what their body is telling them and what their body needs and respond to that accordingly. And then you can find like, once you've, once you've really learned to like shut that outside messaging out and pay attention to the internal messaging, then you can, your body can tell you what you need. And inevitably by listening to it, you will be healthier. You'll have better energy. You'll feel all these positive effects rather than trying to like tell yourself, no, I'm not allowed to eat any bread because bread's bad for me or whatever. Like it's, it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Man, you're nailing nailing so many points right now with regards to the culture and how you should actually be listening to yourself. You're so dead on about that. I mean, people will take some arbitrary list of guidelines from a person, a stranger they don't know, and it's completely made up. It might be based on some nutrition, some science, but it's it's not specific to you. And then you'll play, and you'll place those guidelines and rules uh, full stop on your own operating system and your own kind of routine and lifestyle, without questioning it, and then wonder why it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. I like your thoughts about thinness too. I mean, thinness is completely, yeah, you're right. It's something in the culture, but it's also almost seasonal. Like I think people are like, oh, okay, I gotta be, I gotta. It's okay if I'm a little heavier during the winter, but I gotta get that summer bod. Like I'm guilty of that. Like I mean summer bod hot boy summer all that kind of stuff right like it's it's kind of a weird thing it's like i'm gonna have my shirt off for three days a year and i'm gonna essentially ruin my happiness <laughs> for three or four months and from february till march may or june to satisfy those three pictures for instagram in the <laughs> summer and i mean i'm not sure how long that will last because i'm i'm still a victim to the culture um mm-hmm. but i mean it's it's very you're, you're right on um i mean diets thinness and then not listening to your body i mean it's 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 really 
no wonder people are lost. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the crazy thing is like the the diet culture and like that pursuit of thinness is is so like heavily ingrained in what we see as like good and valuable and like powerful and all of that. And this is in our society. But like, I mean, I, I come from being quite thin my whole life. I've always been quite thin and, and I have been praised for it at many times, which is kind of uncomfortable, especially now that I feel differently about, about diet culture and about like thinness as than I did when I was young. But but I also like think about like times when I would be like, oh, you're so thin and slender and delicate and like praise for these things when I like was bartending full time and drinking like six nights a week and eating one meal of shitty pub food a day and not sleeping enough and taking horrible care of myself and like not being healthy at all. Mm-hmm. And that's still like from an outside perspective, people are like, oh, you're thin. You must be healthy. Like good for you. Right. And so that's it's, the only metric. Yeah. And it's even like, it's even scarier when it comes down to like people who develop eating disorders and things like that, where they're like, you know, this pursuit of thinness is, is so deeply ingrained in them, they're developing an eating disorder. And then they're, you know, the outside world praises them for being thinner when truly what they're doing to themselves is really, really harmful. Mm. And so it's, it's really detrimental, I think, to have that like really extreme pursuit of this thinness, because there's so many possibilities for it to become very, very negative, both healthfully for the physical body, but, but even more so for like the mental health too. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I mean, the, that, that projection people put on people when this, like yeah you look great um i think it's like called skinny fat or in, you know you <laughs> That's could what they call it yeah yeah you could be like amazing you look amazing on the outside but who knows what's going on in your anterior walls or any of your other kind of organs right because you know we see the skin and we see you know the beauty skin deep um until you get to know somebody um and then it's uh, goes a lot more beyond that but you're your soul and your energy and the way your body works, it's your organs, it's your cellular system, it's your lymphatic system, it's your, it's all these systems kind of working in coordination. And if all you're measuring your health on is your, how you look on the outside, I mean, it, you're, you're kind of missing the ball by about 80 or 90%. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like, I mean, when you put it like that, it's, uh, it's, it, it's no wonder. I think that my metric when I measure this is like energy levels. Like if my energy levels are off, I know that I'm not doing something right with either my sleep or my, or my, my, the way I'm eating or the way I'm taking care of myself, my self talk, all those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think I, I try and talk with my clients a lot about that is like, rather than paying attention to your weight or, or like your measurements or anything like that, it's like how you physically feel. And that's just another way of like, really paying attention to what your body's telling you. Like it will tell you if you're not doing well and if you feel great and full of energy and you can, you know, do whatever activities that are important to you or feel good to you and you can do all the things and you're feeling rested and mentally clear and capable, then you know, you're on the right track. Whereas if you're feeling like groggy and drained and you don't have the energy to do your workout or whatever it is, but you're like, just, you know, but I hit my weight goal. It's like, well, cool. You hit your weight goal, but you feel like, shit. so it, is that really worth it? Eight, yeah. 100%. And I mean, unless you're hungover, um, it's, it's probably, uh, probably a bad sign. Um, mm-hmm. so, but the good thing is, I mean, inside of a week you could change that, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I've heard of people who change make one or two alterations. Maybe it's the way they speak or whatever. And then 
Um, or maybe it's one thing about what they're eating or the amount of sleep they're getting or even the people and the stress in their lives. Like, I mean, it's crazy how much social media and I mean, I couldn't even imagine being a little girl, girl growing up today, uh, going through the checkout line at Safeway and seeing what an ex celebrity photoshopped and you, you have that impression on you. Uh, I mean, for guys, it's a little bit different because we can kind of be fat slobs and it's fine. Um, <laughs> But like women, it's like this all this expectation to like look amazing all the time, and and women do. Women are beautiful, but it's just the the pressure to get be that way all the time. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, it's definitely a lot. It's uh, it's it's cool to have the conversations about it though, because I feel like the more people are like aware and discussing the fact that like oh, all of this like there's so much media attention on on like on a woman's body. It's like, I remember, I don't remember what year it was, but it's like some year Lady Gaga sang at like the Super Bowl or something. And she's like doing stunts and she's like super impressive and super talented. And there's this like focus on this like tiny bit of like <laughs> roll or like tiny bit of like exposed stomach or something. And people were like, Oh, look at this bulge on like, like, and it just get like hugely blown out of proportion. It's like this woman is just like doing all kinds of crazy dance moves. She's like really talented and impressive and doing all of this stuff. And we're like, Oh, but she has a little bulge between the top of her pants and the bottom yeah. of her shirt. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Women must hear that and be like, what do we have to do? Like, yeah. do I have to be a multi, multi, uh, multi recording platinum artist, uh, get it to the Super Bowl, do all these stunts and have this 3% body fat. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, which is wildly unhealthy <laughs> for a woman too. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, shit if i mean if she wasn't rich she'd be like there's no absolutely no upside to this but mm -hmm. um no you're right i mean the culture has so much to do with that and i i would almost go on like uh people do this sometimes like instagram diets or you can't really you need to go to the grocery store but i mean there's there's so many things that you can protect yourself or insulate yourself from just so you can understand that your 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 worth and your your journey shouldn't be measured against anybody else's but yourself right i mm -hmm. mean your, your, your own measuring stick should be what you did yesterday and who you were yesterday and, uh, where you are today. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think one of the biggest, um, like difficulties that people can face when they're trying to make some of these changes is comparing themselves to other people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, yeah. The roots of the destruction are in the seeds of comparison for sure. You gotta be careful about who you uh, decide to make your idol. Um, you should be, I love uh, Matthew McConaughey at the uh, Oscars. This is like when he was um, in, in the routing for best male actor for Dallas Buyers Club in 2014 or 2015. And Matthew McConaughey, for all y'all that don't know, he's the guy from uh, Days and Confused who said, all right, all right, all right. And you know what I love about high school girls? I keep getting older and they stay the same age. <laughs> but anyways, I, I love him. He's in a lot of rom-coms and he was in this movie. But anyways, he was accepting his uh, Grammy, or not Grammy, um, Academy Award for Best Actor in a, in a, in a Major Role. And uh, he said he gets asked all the time who his hero is. And he stopped answering X, Y, and Z person. And he started saying myself in 10 years. And essentially what the idea of that was, was he is going to measure himself and his, and the idea of a hero in his life against who he becomes, not who he is or who else is around him. And I think that like having a, having a goal stick that is like a, a little bit further down the road 
gives you a target that you can measure against. And that's why people love the kind of journey photos or the journey posts and on when people post online about where they were or the the infamous one is where where how I started and how it's going mm-hmm. and uh, or Instagram versus reality or whatever. But I mean that journey is is incredibly impressive. And if people had that mentality, that mindset, like my 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 hero is not this celebrity or this person it's me in 10 years i think that you know number one you give yourself enough time and grace and number two you really focus on what you should be which is yourself yeah i like that that's the, i like that kind of aspect i'd even like go so far as to say like it would be kind of cool to have to hear people like i'm thinking about maybe myself personally but like who if i were to be like oh who's my hero i'd be like it's me now but it will be me now in the future as well. And like every, every time it could be me now because like me now can look back and be like, look at all these things that you overcame. Look yeah. at all these things that you've done and be like, Good job me. And like give yourself a bit of a round of applause because like there's nobody out there who hasn't had stuff to overcome and had things to deal with. And if we can kind of like look look at ourselves and be like, damn, I'm proud of me. I like, I did all this stuff and like, I'm going to continue to do all this stuff. And like, I should be inspired by my past actions and that can inspire me to move forward and like have better, even more positive ones in the future. I love that. Yeah. Uh, John Lennon once said from the Beatles, he said, uh, life must be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. So you can understand your life looking backwards, but you have to live it forwards. And if you understand your life looking backwards, you understand there's no coincidences and everything you did was for a reason, uh, for good or bad. Um, if you hit rock bottom is cause you're on, on the ascension. If you're on the ascension is cause you're starting to do some of the things that, uh, Andrew is talking about, right. With, uh, this, the power of self, you know, the self speech and, uh, um, taking care of yourself and you know you I love how you call yourself the self uh, self-care queen yeah or uh, what do you call self-care it? queen yeah. self-care queen um, it's so true self-care is huge I mean people and you can start with boundaries you know are you saying no enough to things mm-hmm. like just simple stuff mm-hmm. you don't have to go crazy and I mean um, that's why I like when I was uh, paying attention to your, your your page and your channel and kind of what you're all about your ask art series um, when you kind of just put the camera on you and you just freestyle, like, can you tell us a little bit about that and what the idea around that was? Um, well, actually it started because I was working with some business coaches that, um, really focus on speaking, speaking events and like live speaking. And so it started with that. And originally it was meant as like, I was hoping it would be kind of like a question and answer where I would get like a question from the audience and, um, not necessarily that day, but like get questions from people and then address, like it started out mostly wanting to talk about fitness stuff or nutrition stuff or whatever. And then as it evolved, it was more like bigger topics and stuff that like really fired me up has been the stuff that I've been wanting to talk about more. And it's like, it's, it's been like, it's been really interesting kind of developing it, but like, so art is obviously me. Um, or maybe not obviously it's Andrea Ruth Troughton. A R T is, um, the name of my business. And so it's kind of like, it kind of came down more now, like to things I'm asking myself when I'm trying to really figure out what people I think need to hear a little bit more of. And I've started sharing a little bit more of like my own personal stories and stuff like that with it. But it's like, I really like to share through those videos, partly, like information that I think is going to be helpful to people, but 
also perspectives that I think aren't necessarily being talked about as much. So then I'll talk about things like, um, like I I think I did one of my videos on, on, um, finding the evidence that you're, that, you know, that self-talk's not true and stuff like that, where it's like this type of stuff I think is, is really the foundation of, of everything. So if I can use my platform to sort of like share what I think is the most important stuff, then I might as well go for it. Yeah. hundred percent finding those little wins. And, um, but like, yeah, I like the, I like the ethos of that, of that, of that project, um, practicing public speaking and getting in front of the camera, speaking your truth. What is some feedback or some questions that have been bubbling to the surface as of late that are kind of popular, popular Mm -hmm. subjects? Um, some of the stuff that I've been like having the most conversations about recently with clients and like even with like family and stuff, I was like, I've talked, I've been talking a lot about the diet culture and stuff and, and where that is. And I think I did a a post last week that was kind of inspired by some of those conversations. It's like, well, why wouldn't you tell people what they should eat or why wouldn't you give those type of recommendations and stuff like that has been a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think too, because it's like, it's just starting to become something that more people are aware of is like, I like getting, when I first got into the industry, it was like, people would come and be like, Oh, you're going to give me like a meal plan. You're going to give me like a workout plan. Yeah. They've, yeah. And, and now when people will still kind of ask me those things and I'm like, I don't do that. I don't give you a meal plan. And they're like, what, why? And then it, op- but it opens up for this co- other conversation, sure. which is really kind of interesting sometimes it goes over really well and people are like oh yeah i totally get that like i like that and other people are sometimes they're like no that's not what i want i want a meal plan <laughs> and i'm like okay well we're not right for each other and that's okay wow no that's uh I'll, you gotta know the offering and you gotta know but you know that the meal plan it's kind of uh it's a bit of a dramatic irony like in movies when you know something's about to happen but the uh, other person doesn't they know, you know that whenever they get that meal plan, unless they're an extremely disciplined person and they have all that foundation laid that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. it's going to go, they're going to fail. I mean, 90% of diets fail. Yeah. And that's the thing. <laughs> it's like, they might not fail right away. So you don't always realize that the diet failed because I think that's the thing is like diets kind of inevitably set you up for failure. They're like, okay, here's exactly what you should eat and drink and do. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can do all of this every day forever, great, good job for you. But like, realistically, nobody can be perfect all the time. Nobody can follow this thing to a T. So you're setting yourself up for failure, not only because you're giving yourself something that doesn't really have a lot of wiggle room in it, Mm. but it also, so it sets you up for failure and you're like, oh, I'm going to follow this diet that probably doesn't let me do X, Y, and Z, whether it's like have, have a treat or whatever. You have to have a cheat meal and stuff like that. Whereas so it'll set you up for failure in that you can't, um, you can't have those things. And if you do, then you fail the diet, but then it also like has an added layer of like, if you failed the diet or you screwed up on your diet by not having the thing, then you like internalize it. And then you're like, now I'm a failure. Now I'm a failure. And that's where I think the, like the real problem is. Yeah. You, you, uh, f- the, the system failed and you blame yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, that's a, it's a trap. I mean, it's uh and then somebody launches a new diet and you try that thinking it's the answer and really the answer is inside. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why you're starting to pop because people are becoming wise to the fact that 
Um, it's not about an action. It's about a mentality and a mindset. And uh, um, that kind of bleeds into everything. You know, obviously the food matters, the fitness matters, but even your personal life, relationships, mm-hmm. work, career, all that stuff. If you have that kind of foundation laid, everything will kind of lay itself out. Mm-hmm. I think like when I like to think about diet, I like to think of like all of the things that you consume, not just food, but like you, the media that you consume, yeah. the, the like way that you take in information from other people, the way you're interacting with people, all of that sort of stuff is, is part of what you're consuming. It's part of your diet and all of those things affect you. Not just, not just your food and not just your, you know, workouts. It's like, it's everything. Yeah. I could imagine. I've always imagined, I've always wondered, I've had a few personal trainers in the past. Um, and, uh, and I know you do much more than that, like we've been speaking about, but, uh, my personal trainer kind of turned into my pseudo therapist because I would go to him, we would start working out and he'd take me through the workout. And then I would start telling him about my girl problems or I'd start telling him about my, like my, my work problems and all this. And like, not that he would have the answers, but he would just be a soundboard. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the cool thing about those relationships is like, okay, I'm going to tell you about all the problems with my body. And that's kind of the gate to the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So you have a very, you especially, because uh, you have those other, you, you understand that and you even take it to the next level. You have such a powerful platform to impact people's lives, especially the ladies you work with. You must, you must feel tremendous amount of responsibility. Um, I never really thought about it in that way. I, well, I guess that's not true. I kind of, um, I like to, so I like to write affirmations quite regularly as like part of my self care practices. And actually one of the things that I was writing for a little while, whereas especially for, for me when I kind of would struggle to kind of push to the next level, trying to work on my business is that it would be like, I, I have these valuable tools and skills and it's my responsibility to share them with people who need it. And that's something that I would kind of like try and say to myself as a, as a reminder and be like, no, like people, people like me, people women like me, women who I'm meeting regularly, like they need this type of information. And so like, I feel, yeah, there's like a sense of responsibility to try and put it out there. But then at the same time, like also having to be careful not to assume too much responsibility because like inevitably it will end up in the other person's hands too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a partnership. It's a uh, it's a team effort. This is how I like to look at team? it. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. It's a team. Fifty uh, fifty or a hundred hundred. Um, I guess. Well, I would say fifty a hundred. I'm the fifty. They're the hundred. So like I can put in my half of things, but if they're not putting their like their their a hundred is really what's going to get them there. Okay. Yeah. I like that. That's a good way to explain it. Yeah, because I mean. Yeah, if they don't if they don't give it all their effort and attentiveness, uh, it's not going to work either. But I think they know that if they're gonna, that's the beautiful thing about paying for something is uh, you tend to take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when people <laughs> when people are are paying for something and they're like invested in financially, they're are usually a lot more likely to follow through, which is which is the value of actually hiring a professional <laughs> versus trying to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I've even heard of some challenges where people. Not that weight loss is the end all be all, but um, in in challenges where people try to lose weight, um, I've heard of some stuff. Or this might even not be healthy, but um, people would uh, put a bounty up of like a grand, and if they don't lose, if they don't hit a threshold by like a certain time, then they have to like 
pay 500 bucks. So there's like penalties. Yeah. I've heard of, I've heard of people doing that. Like I, like personally, I would never, um, negative incentives. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of negative incentives myself. And I, I wouldn't be like, if you don't hit your, like hitting a weight loss goal is not something that I would ever, um, promote in what I do. But at the same time, it's like, I do, I do see how being like, oh, well, if I don't, you know, do put in the work, then I owe money. I can, like, I can see how that could incentivize somebody. But at the same time, I, I prefer positive reinforcement over negative. Um, I think it's probably a more, again, like longer lasting impact, Mm. but I guess it's not that much different than if somebody were to pay for you know, hire me, pay for my services and then not follow through on using them. And then they've essentially given up that money if they don't actually do the work. Makes sense. So for someone who equips and helps so many people, the self queen boss, um, how do you, how do you do that? How do you do that for yourself? Um, it's always still a work in progress. Definitely. I never claim to be perfect at it, but like my, my sort of belief in like what self care is, is very, it's very simple and it's not super glamorous. Like I know a lot of people be like, Oh, self care, like I better go to the spa and get a massage and do all these things. And while I think that's part of it for me, a lot of it is like the biggest, the biggest thing for me was like learning how to kind of set boundaries and I'm still learning, like learning how to set boundaries around um, what kind of topics I want to talk about with people, mm-hmm. what kind of time I'm willing to give certain people who is a lot of my life. Like, I think that's probably like the biggest and most important one. Um, and like in, and boundaries on like what you're consuming and that's like social media, especially I think is a huge place where people don't always have boundaries because it's still so new. So setting boundaries around like who you're willing to follow, who you even want to have follow you, what kind of stuff you want to be like bombarded with, um, is really important. And then, and then otherwise, like I like to think of self care for myself and for what I tell people is like the bare bones of it. It's like, it's like really like taking care of your, making sure your needs are met. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, I mean, that comes down to definitely, you know, things like food and, and exercise and stuff like that. And rest is super important, but for, for me, I think a lot of it is like choosing how I spend my time and my energy. And like, I used to be very, I used to have a really difficult time spending my time and energy by myself and I would need to always be with people. And so one of the big self-care things for me, especially with the pandemic and how that's all changed is like learning how to spend more time with myself and like spending quality time with myself where it's not like me sitting scrolling on my phone it's like things like when I'm going for my walks um and like writing and journaling and stuff like that has been a really it's huge... like you're taking yourself on a date yeah yeah I, I was I had somebody once give it the phrasing master date master date yeah you master date it's when you take yourself out oh. on a date <laughs> that's awesome so it's yeah it's like spending quality time with with myself has been probably the best self-care practice ever wow no that's uh i was just about to ask uh what is an underrated self-care um approach but that might be it what do you think um maybe yeah i think i think spending like quality time with yourself is probably underrated because i don't think people think about like that as self-care um but 
I don't know. I don't know what the most underrated one. I think I think maybe probably boundaries is probably the most underrated one because I don't think people think about that as. Can you give us self-care. an example? Like, like a boundary example. About, yeah, because people. I think people will get that, but they don't get that. Mm. What that means. Well, like, I mean, I'm, I kind of mentioned it as like the big the big ones for me are like boundaries on on social media. Social media. So right. like, that's like. For a lot of people that I'm talking to client-wise, it'll be like, unfollow people that you see their shit and it makes you feel bad about yourself. Like if you're following a bunch of Instagram models or influences, influencers and you're like, oh, this like in you and it makes you compare yourself to them and feel bad about yourself, cut it out. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they're your friends. Like, well, I mean... Sometimes it matters if you're if they're your friends, but like if, if you're constantly consuming something that makes you feel bad, right? That's like a big no. That's a big boundary for me, and I think that's something that a lot of people like will. We feel guilty putting up a boundary if if it might make somebody else feel bad. So if it's like this person's gonna feel bad if I don't follow them, I mean if it's your friend maybe, but there's ways to hide them from your feed where they don't know that you've unfollowed them and that's a really great tool to use. To your point. Yeah. But like yeah, it's like I think I think doing the things that are like regardless of if you're worried if somebody else isn't gonna like it, I think is the big thing with boundaries. Is like you can you can put up some boundaries are easier than others. So the the hard ones I think are the are the tricky ones. And it's like, you know, telling your family that you don't want to spend whatever a holiday with them because they actually stress you out or something like that. Like oh, fair enough. things like that. There's yeah. lots of, there's lots of situations I think where people will put their own comfort aside for the sake of other people's comfort. And I think that that's where boundaries are the most valuable. Yeah. And that's, that's great. That's really tangible and that's real. I mean, people, um, you know, it's real cause it's hard. Um, the, the, that's not always easy, especially with the friends thing. And I totally, totally agree with you. Social media is, I was having a conversation with my friend the other day and we were talking about how it was almost more fun to go hang out or party or meet up or whatever, I fill in the blank, when there was no phones. Because mm-hmm. uh, you, you could just be there present, right? That's why I like doing these podcasts because I know a 100% fact you will not check your phone because <laughs> I have to pay attention to what's being said and you have to be, be hanging. So if you're checking that thing, yeah, I mean, you're going to be caught slipping. So um, if this is a focused, probably the last focused um unimpeded attention grab left on earth is the modern podcast so that's why i like it because people on their phones they get sucked it they're they're engineered to be to suck you in Mm -hmm. and they're engineered to keep you scrolling and uh depending on the app you're just it's it's it's, um bottomless contact content Mm -hmm. so you you could be like i used to i used to be an idiot and be like okay i'm just gonna go on there for 10 minutes and, and then all of a sudden it's been like half an hour. Yeah. It's the rabbit hole, right? It's, it's like, it's almost like the time reality distortion field where you enter a different dimension of time and space. Cause by the time you pull your head up, you don't realize how much time has passed, but you're right. You got to put those boundaries up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different apps you can download where you can put like a time uh, threshold or just put the timer on your phone. Yeah. It could be like, Hey, Hey, good Siri. Set timer for 15 minutes. And when you hear that ringer, you turn it off. Mm-hmm. And if you know, it's, a, it's like hitting the snooze button. Yeah. You know you're violating something. Yeah, that's true. Actually, one of the things that I I still try and work on and that like I've heard or that that's talked a lot about um, in some of the 
people I follow and some of the information that I like to consume is keeping promises to yourself. Talking about setting boundaries with other people is really important, but I think also like setting boundaries with yourself and respecting them. Because um, one of the things that I think is really, we kind of take for granted is we'll set a boundary or we'll be like, like say you set a timer or whatever for doing, you know, I'm only going to be on social media for like 15 minutes or like I'm going to work for like half an hour or whatever it is. We set a timer for ourselves. And if we break that, um, it shows us like that we can't trust ourselves if we're continually breaking those sort right, of promises. Right, right, right. But then it also like inevitably, well, not necessarily inevitably, but if we don't respect our own boundaries with ourselves, then it doesn't really set a great precedent to expect other people to respect our boundaries too. If we don't even respect them ourselves, if you don't respect them, why should anybody else? Mm-hmm. So you got to have, you got to set the, you got to lead by example um, when it comes to what you're willing to tolerate in your own life. Like you, I heard this thing a long time ago and I believe it. It's uh, you gotta, you gotta educate people on how you want to be treated, but you seem to have that in you. And I was just curious, you were talking about how um, one of your business coaches mentioned that you should be talking to a camera to like really learn a lot about um, how to communicate or maybe something along those lines. What are your aspirations? Like, do you want to do public speaking or do you want to do like do the fitness circuit or like go to the conferences and trade shows or like, what are your thoughts? Um, I really enjoy public speaking actually. Like I, I like it for a few reasons. Like I like the idea of being able to, you know, reach more people at one time um, if possible. So like I like public speaking, I like educating, So I've done, like, I've done a lot of lunch and learns and, like, work with people in that way. Um, Granted, I think public speaking where people are are choosing to come and hear me speak is better off than, like, somebody bringing me in to speak because I think when people are, like, actively choosing to be there, like, that's, they're going to benefit from it a lot more than somebody who's there because their boss told them, like, this is what we're doing today. Right. Um, But, uh, (laughs) but, like, yeah, I, I really enjoy public speaking. I like to do... Um, I like to do that quite a bit, but I, I honestly really love working with people one-on-one and being able to kind of have that like personal connection. So I think I'll always be interested in a mixture of the two, because I think the, the value you can give to somebody when with like a personal interaction, whether it was when I was bartending and like people just like you make a customer feel special by like engaging with them and like remembering things about them. I think that's really valuable, but coming down to coaching and working with people one-on-one I don't know that I'll ever really want to transition away from that fully because I think that that one-on-one relationship can be absolutely pivotal in in changing things and and it's just as rewarding for me to be able to work with somebody and like like I was telling you earlier when I talk through things with people like I'm, I'm learning stuff at the same time so there's so much value in that like one-on-one interaction so that I still think is always going to be part of what I do even if it becomes a smaller piece but like if I can do conferences and speak to people on mass like I'm actually one of my goals that I haven't really shared a lot is um I want to write sort of a autobiographical self-help book cool um and that just kind of came that was like an idea that came to me while I was doing my walking this year cool so that's like in very, very infancy at this point. It's just kind of like a bunch of anecdotal stories about my life. But 
Wow. Um, well, I, I appreciate you dropping that thing. for the first time on Akeem's Dream Show. We yeah. Got, we got the exclusivity uh, launch rights. Um, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Well, you don't know how long it'll be. I've never tried to do anything like that before, so it's probably going to take some time and some discipline because sitting down to make time to write is like another thing that is a, a oh, whole yeah. other boundary I have to figure out how to set for myself. Yeah. I've heard a lot of strategies about writing. Um, I actually wrote... Um, not a book, but I wrote a guide. Um, it's called The Hopeless Bachelor because I'm Batman and a, the Bachelor, Bachelor, Batman, right? Oh, okay. So it was like a 17-step guide about how to live on your own as a dude because I, I found that when I was like in my early 20s, most guys didn't know how to cook, clean, have host, um, do laundry, plan, budget, all this kind of stuff, basic stuff for adult mm-hmm. living. But I think women are, I don't know, maybe better at that stuff, life stuff. I think it depends on the stuff. Like I, think, I can cook and clean for myself just fine, but uh, budgeting and and that sort of stuff definitely is a different issue. Yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, I I just found it was nothing that didn't sell. I I printed it off and put it in duo tags and handed it <laughs> out. But I mean, the process of writing that book it was like twenty six pages. But the process of writing it was extremely. Um, insightful because um, I think you realize that you learn you know more than you know mm-hmm. um, especially when you put pen to paper and you 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 commit to an hour or whatever it is and even if you don't have any constructive things to write you just spill it out and mm-hmm. I find that amongst the, all the the clitter and the the all the the junk that you write out you get some golden nuggets and uh, I think that especially from someone like you you'd have a tremendous amount of wisdom to offer people um when it comes to that if it's an autobiography you said yeah it would be like autobiographical like so far i haven't gotten to any of the self-help stuff yet like my my imagination is saying what what i want it to look like is like first i'll write down all these like stories from my life that have been very impactful and then i'll write down lessons um that i've learned along the way and i plan to hopefully find a way to intertwine them but right now it's basically just been a really extended journaling process where I've been like writing about like some of the most pivotal experiences I've had in my life, good or bad. And, uh, and going from there, you, you, you probably touched on one of them earlier when you were talking about meeting Kyle. Can, do you care to share another one? Um, I mean, there's so many, it depends on, I guess. Yeah. So like I, I've, I've experienced a lot of loss in my life, um, from a young age to very recently. So a lot of the, like the story, the story, my, my life story, I essentially say it kind of begins when I, when I'm 12 years old or just before I turned 12 years old and when I lost my mom. And oh. so I kind of start, Sorry, that's, it's always one of those things where I, it's like, yeah, I get you. I mean, it's been like, it's been 20 years, like next week. So I've wow. been, I, I've actually had this conversation with Kyle quite a few times about, about like dealing with difficulties in life and a lot of people you kind of be like oh you wish you could go back in time and change something or whatever and and the biggest thing that I think I've taken from my whole life and like any of these difficult experiences that I've had is like yeah they're hard and I you know it may have been a much easier life or a much different life had I not experienced what I've gone through but at the same time I would never want to go back in time and change them because everything that I've gone through in my life has directed me to where I am and where I am going. And, and this like kind of starting to write this stuff and starting to really dig into it is really came from the idea that like, I 
feel like where I am and where I'm going is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I feel like everything that I have experienced in my life and that I've learned in my life has happened for a reason. And I I don't necessarily believe in like fate and whatever. I don't know if I do or not, but I, I believe that everything that I have that every little thing that has happened in my life and anybody's life is, is, doing it to push you to where you're supposed to be. And I feel like I am where I'm supposed to be. And I feel like I'm continuing to get there. And I feel like the information that I have to share can help other people kind of make that reframe and maybe hopefully do that for them. So that's kind of where it all starts and then builds up. And there's, I don't know, I haven't even gotten to meeting Kyle yet. I'm still writing about high school. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And that uh, in band camp when you were thirteen. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna make that's gonna make an appearance. Actually, <laughs> I talk a little bit about how I feel like uh, being in in school band was actually like a very valuable experience because it it got me into like it, it basically gets a bunch of nerds to socialize. Like not necessarily that that's right. what everybody are, but like a bunch of people that the people that I was friends with in school, like most of them were in that program, and that's how we all ended up becoming friends. And like it gives you like a little sense of community. So there's, there's some stuff in there from, from band camp too. Okay. Nothing, nothing is fun. Nothing American pie style, but uh, <laughs> oh, pretty PG stuff. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Well, can't win them all. Um, <laughs> but with regards, that's extremely powerful um, that you uh, have that worldview and that mindset and that perspective despite everything, right? That's uh, that's a, that's a story of power and overcoming. And I think that's uh, people love that uh, people People want that. Um, they don't want to hear that you wallowed um, or you gave up. They want to hear that you overcame, and they want to know how you did it. So I think a book from you would be extremely uh, worth the fifteen dollars or whatever ends up <laughs> costing. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. This is one of those things that, like, it was a. Um, I've only just started like verbalizing it to people that this is something that I want to work on. And like the more I verbalize it, the more I'm like, okay, this is like really what I got to do. So saying it out loud, it's like one of those, it's an affirmation right now. I'm like, okay, people know I'm putting it out into the world. So I got to take action and, and keep moving forward on it. But keep telling people, I mean, you're, uh, yeah, you're reinforcing it. And like we were talking earlier, confess it and you will possess it. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I 100% believe that to this day. Um, and, uh, I think you are on the right path, and I can't wait to read that book. What's it going to be called? I have no idea. Like, I have absolutely no idea what it'll be called. Uh-huh. I think I was always one of those, uh, like, I, I, was, I was always pretty good in school when it came to, like, writing essays and stuff like that, but I always liked to title it something that was, like, really thought-provoking, mm-hmm. and I don't really know. So now I'm, like, thinking about what this might be called and... Yeah, it's a complete mystery right now. We'll figure it out as it comes together, I think. It could be a spinoff of the Andy Samberg, uh, Never Stop, Never Stopping. <laughs> uh, maybe. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you could have fun. That'll probably be the funnest part is coming with a name. Yeah, it's always hard. Like Even when I named the like um, like live video series that I was doing, Ask Art, Ask like Art, it took yeah. a long time. Like I don't know. Maybe I'll play off of that somehow. Who mm. knows? But... Uh, yeah, like that was hard even for me to come up with because I, I really dig into uh, alliteration. So. It, could, it could be art class. Art class. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. You, don't, would, you don't have to pay me royalties. I'm just no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. 
Yeah. I think I'll, I mean, I, I really, I'm very attached to my initials, um, as like my brand, even though a lot of people, like, especially with my Instagram handle, like work of art, if you read mm-hmm. it really fast, most people, oh, well, not most people, but many yeah. people read work of fart. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the, the shame of not being able to put the uh, the periods in the name. But. Oh yeah, you can't. <laughs> well, you couldn't when um, Instagram first came out. Mm. So then I didn't, and then I was just like, "Well, I'm not going to change it now because then everything that I've ever tagged is not going to be the same anymore." Oh yeah, and you have an intellectual property on the market. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you know, it, people will like double click on it because it says "fart" in it, and they laugh, and then they're like, "Oh wow, this girl's got some stuff to say." Maybe, <laughs> maybe, who knows? Maybe it's helping me draw in new people. I don't know. Hey, who knows? You broaden the market open, right? <laughs> Get some more of the more sarcastic crowd out there. Yeah, well, I do love sarcasm, so. Okay. Oh, speaking of that, I, I mean, I kind of got the sense you were into that. <laughs> What's something about you that most people don't know? Or most people, you're like, would be surprised to know? Would be surprised to know. Like, for example, that you like sarcasm. I don't... Do people think you're a pretty serious person? Um, I don't know. I think, like, I think people who don't know me well think I'm pretty serious, I've gotten like, especially from like other trainers in the gym and stuff, people are always like, oh, you always look like you're like on, uh, you're serious or on a mission. But like nine times out of 10, I, I think I'm so funny. And I, and so I'm like, most of what I say, I'm joking around about. And so I always find it kind of funny when people think I'm like really serious. Cause I'm like, really? I'm like very, like, not that I'm rarely serious, but I don't like to take too many things very seriously. I like, I make jokes about some stuff that like people don't necessarily always think is funny, but I do. Oh, fair enough. I think that's healthy. I think that's uh, it, the one thing about humor is it uh, it pulls people in for sure, mm-hmm. and it also helps people. Um, um, Oscar Wilde once said, "If you're going to tell people the truth, make sure either be funny or be prepared to die." Something like that. And mm-hmm. there's some there's some semblance of truth to that, and I think that especially with what you're telling people, um, you know, everything we've said tonight's very eloquent and uh, sophisticated. But when you're on a one-on-one session, I imagine it doesn't go down um, unless you give them a glass of almond milk of uh, humor to kind of wash it down. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I definitely think humor is the key to get a lot of things uh, or to get a lot of messages through. Sometimes. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, I 100% agree with that and uh, try to be a lot, try to be humorous on this show for sure. And uh, appreciate, uh, you know, you laughing at my bad jokes throughout this. So <laughs> bad jokes are my favorite kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a dad in training. So um, I don't have any kids on the way or my relationship, but I'm just saying <laughs> when I'm practicing my dad jokes for when that day does come oh. and um, just making sure that they're, they're nailed. Uh, somebody asked me what my style was the other day. And I said, I'm a 19, my fashion style is like a stuck in time of like a 1988 or 87 dad <laughs> in the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> who just discovered like fanny packs and stuff. Oh, I just discovered fanny packs myself, actually. I've, uh, I only own the one, but I remember very distinctly being anti fanny pack for quite a while because it reminded me of my parents in the 90s and i'm like i literally see a fanny pack and i think of my parents in their like 90s clothes and then doing my walk to mortar once it started getting hot out like i i'm also very i think ergonomics is very important so (laughs) as a female whose clothing never comes with substantial pockets 
to go out for a walk if I might want to pick up a coffee or I need some, like, need my keys and I need my phone and I need whatever. Once it got to be summer and I wasn't wearing, like, or it wasn't weather to wear big coats anymore, I was like, I don't want to wear a purse. It's bad for my posture. It hurts my shoulder if I'm walking for, like, an hour. Fanny pack, man. It yeah. is it's a life changer. I'm never going to speak ill of a fanny pack ever again. Pretty good. Yeah, neither. Yeah, so same thing for me. I've been wearing, I've been rocking one for probably three or four years. Uh, whenever I do like, yeah, like you said, like a hike or anything like that, I throw everything in there. My whole life is in that fanny pack. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that picture of the rock, um, from the nineties when he was wearing like a black turtleneck with a gold chain and a fanny pack. Oh yeah. I it's can so classic. That. It was, Oh my God. It's like burn into the memes of the internet, but I, I admire that. It's so, it's the highest level of utility and sophistication <laughs> as a man. Yeah. To be able to be comfortable enough to rock that. And actually some dudes, some young Zoomers, I call them Zoomers, guys who are, or people who were born after 1999, post-millennial, uh, they wear like these man purses, purses, mm. like over their shoulder. And it's like a thing. Like they put all their stuff in there. They'll soon learn that that's very unergonomic. It's going to hurt your shoulder. Same reason why I refuse to wear like a crossbody bag. It's a backpack or it's a fanny pack. I only have a purse for if I'm trying to look nice. Gotcha. Which yeah. is... I've also come to a point in my life and my age where I'm like, you know what? Functionality versus fashion always. Comfy shoes, comfy clothes. But you can do the fashion. I've yeah, seen, I've seen the posts. Oh. Like, <laughs> like the very, very fashionable Cruella de Vil. Oh, know? thank you. Well, a lot of time I have to give credit to um, one of my, my cousin who is like, she's trained as a designer. She's very, very fashionable. And um, from working in the gym like every day, all day, and living in stretchy pants 90% of the time, I have often been like, I'm going to some type of event and I have to dress like a rail person. Is this an appropriate outfit? And I will literally like take pictures of my clothes and send it to her. And she'll be like, yeah, but wear this type of shoe. And I'll like, I'll literally get like help. And then, except for I've also come to a point where I'm like, I don't have that type of shoe and I want to be comfortable. So I'm going to wear this one. Okay. Okay. Thanks. That's fashion. <laughs> yeah. Whatever fashion is. Finding the balance you. in there. Yeah, finding your balance. And listen, when you work that way, when you, when you work hard, uh, and the clothes fit the way you want to. I think that's one of the best things about getting into shape, quote unquote, is clothes fit better. And you know, m- might as well if you mm-hmm. feel good in the clothes you wear and you you're rocking it. You know, or throw it on the gram. Uh, you know, why not? You yeah, know. I think the the thing with like clothes and and like getting in shape in your body and stuff is like if you can if you wear something confidently it almost doesn't matter what it is that's true yeah. that you will look good on in it because it's like the the energy you put into the world and like yeah. even like talking with like my clients and stuff is like trying to get them like get when people get more confident in their bodies and more comfortable in their bodies they're more likely to wear something that they like that they might have felt a little bit insecure in before and it probably looks great but they were like oh i can't wear that because i'm whatever so like seeing people like when you when you go into the world like confidently like now i probably would never have been confident enough to go out in the world in like a fanny pack like yesterday i was walking down the street in like like coral orange joggers with a black fanny pack and a crop top t-shirt with donuts on my boobs <laughs> and i am just like yeah i'm a fucking, i'm a fashion icon <laughs> and i'm like that's awesome like a UT, seriously like a year ago i'd be like you can't go out like that people will notice you you will look too bright you can't do that so it's like it's it's like a whole mindset thing is makes the whole difference in what you wear i think <laughs> 
I love this uh, quote, this guy named John Maxwell. He said, uh, people hear your words, but they feel your attitude. Yeah. And if you have that swagger, you can pull anything off, I mm-hmm. think. Almost anything. But yeah, you can really, you can get a lot, you can get away, get away with a lot if you feel that. If you if you feel like John Travolta at the beginning of Saturday Night Live, Fever, whatever that movie is, when he's walking down the street, and he's picking up a pizza oh, yeah. and the Bee Gees are playing. You know what this, you know what I'm talking about. You can't tell by the way. And they even say it in the lyrics. You yeah. can't tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. Yeah. No time to talk. So if you do that, I mean, yeah, the it's, world is it's yours. It's all about you hold, how you hold yourself. Like, I've gone out, I've gone out before in like, and not felt comfortable or like confident in what I'm wearing. And it's like, whether or not other people notice is one thing, but like, when you don't feel comfortable or you don't feel confident in whatever you're wearing and how you're holding yourself in the world, you literally like shrink in. Like I, I can, I can remember like going out and not feeling comfortable and like wearing something that I didn't feel confident in. And like, I'm, you're always tugging on it. You're kind of like yeah. rolling your shoulders in and you're holding yourself in such a way that it like, it you look uncomfortable and people can see that. Yes. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, whatever you're wearing, if you like are proud and you're like, exuding sort of an energy about you it's like people can see that too and it doesn't it very rarely matters what you're wearing because the people that can tell your on can see your energy and stuff like they're going to be attracted to that like if you're wearing sweatpants or if you're wearing like a 200 dollars pair of pants exactly you got to own it that the whole idea and principle of ownership is um if you own it you're gonna respect it and uh if you own your if you own your swagger if you own your attitude if you own your energy your people are going to respect you because you respect it, mm-hmm. right? It's like the if you rent a car, you're going to be just driving it like shit. But if you own a car, you know, I, call, I own a car. I call her Betsy. She, I never let anything bad, bad happen to her. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have to ride her hard. That's because I'm in a rush or I'm late for something. But otherwise, I, I let her be. But if I'm in a new city and I'm renting a car, I don't know that car. I don't give her a name. She's just mine to abuse for a few days. <laughs> and... I don't care if it makes it back, if there's a nick on it, whatever, I'll pay the five bucks. But Betsy, no, it's a completely different thing. You should have the same thing with your attitude and swag. Yeah, I can see that. I don't have I don't have the same outlook with cars because I am not like a I really don't enjoy driving very much. So like for me a car is like only for functionality and I will not ever purchase a vehicle that I have to care too much about because I just don't have that's not where I want my energy. I don't want to be like, oh, I have to worry if my car gets scratched. Like I'm driving a free car that has a dent in the bumper because someone hit and run me in a parking lot. And the only reason, and like, it's like a soccer ball size dent. And the only reason it bothers me is because somebody else did that to me. Oh, yeah. If I had done it to myself, I'd be like, well, Andrea, you wrecked your free car, but whatever. So some, yeah, somebody got off scratch free. Yeah, exactly. Quite but, literally. But yeah, I, but, but with like, but but the analogy I think still I still respect I think it still holds it's just not one that I will use in my own life because I don't care about my car at all. That's fair. It could be a. But hor- if it was a rental car, I'd probably be like white knuckling it and being like, "No, oh, I can't yeah. scratch this. It's not mine." Ten and two. Yeah. yeah. So you would drive the car. You drive a rental like you own it, uh, and I drive it like I don't. But. Mm. Maybe I don't know. I drive I drive a rental like I don't own it, and it's uh, I don't want to wreck somebody else's stuff. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> okay, so that analogy only works for me, but uh, nonetheless. <laughs> but I understand the analogy, and like it still works. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so uh, I guess as we tie things down, um, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience that maybe we haven't communicated, or you just kind of feel in your uh, on your mind or your heart, top of the mind, tip of the tongue that you'd like to maybe share with people? Mm, 
I'm not sure if there's anything specific. I guess kind of just like going off of like what we were just saying and kind of tying that into what what my values are and what I think is really important is like when it comes down to it, the most important thing that you can do is like take care of how you feel about yourself, whether it's how you feel about like what you're capable of, whether it's how you feel about your body. But it's like, if you take care of how you feel about yourself, then you can carry that out into the world. And like the more you take care of yourself mentally, the more you take care of yourself physically. And the more you see that like grow into like all the other areas of your life. So I think that's kind of like the biggest like important message that I can share really. That's beautiful. And I think that uh, people who take that, absorb it and really implement it along with everything else you've mentioned today will be much better off um, when it comes to mentality and, you know, how they approach food, how they approach drinks, even though we didn't really dive too much into that. But I think the gist is there is that it also it all starts with how you you know treat yourself and how you respect yourself and set up boundaries and then everything else can kind of line up and then uh, look forward for um uh, art class uh, <laughs> book by andrew to come out soon and uh yeah i'm looking forward to maybe like a 0.5 percent royalty but we'll see what happens with <laughs> we'll that. see it might be a while <laughs> okay I'll, I'll take care of myself in the meantime <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh thank you for coming on the show yeah thank you for having me absolutely